0: Chapter 4 of Energy and Vibration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Janet Nature's Miracles, Volume 2 Energy and Vibration by Elisha Gray. Chapter 4 transmutation of energy it will be seen from the foregoing chapters that the energy of the universe exists in various guises which we will call the forces of nature we have visible energy of motion as seen in the flow of water the movement of the heavenly bodies and the firing of a shot we have visible energy of position as seen in a reservoir of water elevated above sea level or in a weight that has been carried to some position above the surface of the earth. We have energy of position in molecular separation and in atomic or chemical separation. Also, there is moving energy in the form of heat motion, the motion of an electric current, and that of radiant energy. These are some of the forms of energy existing. And so far as the universe is concerned, The sum of them remains a constant quantity. They are not really different energies, but the same energy appearing under different guises. It will be seen that all work performed must come from energy of position. The tendency is to fall from a higher to a lower level. Water will not turn the mill unless it is first elevated from the level of the common reservoir, the ocean. This, however, is going on through the process of evaporation caused by the power of the sun's rays. There's a constant elevation of water in the form of vapor and a constant precipitation upon the higher levels of the earth where it runs back again to the common reservoir, the ocean. In like manner, heat, in doing work, falls from a higher to a lower level. We build a fire under a boiler when a part of the heat communicated to it does a certain amount of work in forcing the water into vapor. This is converted into mechanical work in passing through the engine when it escapes into the air and is radiated into space. Not all of the heat, however, that is forced into the engine from the boiler issues from the escape pipe, for a part of it is converted into mechanical work in turning the wheels of the factory and performing the various kinds of work carried on therein, when finally this portion is given up as heat caused by the friction of the bearings, the friction of the wheels against the air in which they run, the friction of the tools used in planing or turning or boring, as the case may be. If we take the temperature of the steam as it escapes and compare it with the steam before it enters the engine, we shall find that the temperature of the former is very much lower than that of the latter. A part of the heat that comes from the boiler is radiated by the pipes carrying the steam and by the engine through which it passes. A part of it escapes with the exhaust steam while the balance is first converted into mechanical, visible energy, only to be converted into molecular or heat energy through the various sources of friction heretofore mentioned. If the heat outside the boiler were as great as it is inside the boiler, we could get no work out of it any more than we could get work out of two reservoirs of water occupying the same level. It will thus be seen that all of the operations of nature, whether in the animal, vegetable, or mineral kingdom, are dependent upon the fact that somewhere there is stored a great reservoir of energy capable of carrying on all of the activities, not only of this world, but of many others like it. So far as our solar system is concerned, that reservoir is the sun. What would happen if this great source of energy should be suddenly cut off from pouring its life-giving streams upon our Earth? A moment's reflection will show us that there is only one answer, universal death. The next question that naturally arises is, will the sun continue to be an inexhaustible source of energy? Probably not, but the diminution of the sun's heat is so very gradual that we have not been able to measure it within historic times. It is not a question that need to trouble us as individuals, but as each one of us must face the inevitable change that comes at the end of the little point of time allotted to us, so the race must look forward to its ultimate extinction as physical beings through natural causes. The human race has greater and higher problems to solve than those involved in our mere physical existence as animals or machines. But in order that these greater questions may be solved, if they ever are, It is necessary that we begin from the physical side of nature's operations. Our philosophical speculations in regard to that which we do not know must be based upon an array of facts that we are intimately conversant with if we expect to make any real progress. It is the business of the scientist to furnish these facts and leave it for the philosopher to harmonize them with other facts in a higher realm that is just as real. How can we prove that the law of the conservation of energy is correct as stated? While it is not so easily proven by direct methods as it would be to prove the conservation of matter, yet there are indirect evidences that carry with them such conviction as to amount to absolute knowledge to the individual who has made it a close study. Sometimes we arrive at the truth by trying to prove a proposition based upon false premises. For several centuries philosophers and mechanics have attempted to solve the problem of a perpetual motion but without success. The amount of study and money that has been spent in trying to solve this problem has not been in vain. In settling some questions, it answers the same purpose to prove that a thing cannot be done as that it can. When men once made up their minds that power could not be created by machinery, they at once addressed themselves to solving the question, Why? And out of this effort has grown a knowledge of the great law of the conservation of energy. If energy could not be created, then the question arose, can it be destroyed? And when this is attempted, we find that it cannot be done. The one is just as easy to accomplish as the other. If we are able to destroy energy, we ought to be able to create it. But we find that neither one is possible. Perhaps the best way to impress the mind with these facts will be to give a few instances of how energy may be transmuted changed from one form to another without our being able either to increase or diminish it. Let us take the case of a pendulum that is delicately hung upon a knife edge. Now let us give it an impulse that will set it to swinging. The first oscillation it makes will be greater than any that follow until it comes to absolute rest. In an ordinary clock, the pendulum is kept swinging with a definite amplitude by giving it a fresh impetus at the end of every stroke, which is imparted to it through the medium of an escape wheel driven by a weight or spring. Let us, however, consider the pendulum without the escape wheel. If delicately suspended, it will swing a long time upon the single impulse that has been given to it, Now let us follow the transmutation of energy that was imparted to the pendulum. First, it appears as energy of motion, which is greatest when the pendulum swings to its lowest point. When it has passed this point, its movement is slower and slower until it comes to rest at the turning point, when immediately it swings back, passing the lowest point again and rising on the opposite side each oscillation becoming shorter and shorter until it finally comes to rest on a line that is perpendicular to its center of gravity. A casual onlooker would conclude that the energy imparted to the pendulum was now entirely lost. But this is not the case. As long as it continued to swing, there were two transmutations taking place. When the pendulum was at its lowest point, it was moving at the highest rate of speed. From this point, to its extreme limit of oscillation, it changed from energy of motion to energy of position, till at the turning point, the energy that had originally been imparted to it was all that of position, with one exception. We have seen that each successive oscillation of the pendulum is shorter than the one succeeding. Therefore, It is plain that the sum of the energy of motion and of position, which change places at each oscillation, becomes less and less until it is entirely gone, when the pendulum stops swinging. The loss in energy of visible motion and position, which occurs at each oscillation, is now all represented by heat caused by friction against the air and that of the knife edge upon which the pendulum swings so that now we have, represented in heat, the mechanical equivalent of the energy required to put the pendulum in motion. If we could eliminate the pull of gravity, the friction of the knife edge, and the air resistance, the pendulum would swing on forever from its initial impulse. The law of inertia would not allow the pendulum to stop swinging in the absence of all resistance whatever. All visible motion, when arrested, becomes heat. When the blacksmith delivers a blow with his hammer upon a piece of iron resting upon the anvil, he creates heat in the hammer, the iron, and the anvil, as well as in the air as the hammer passes through it. And the amount of heat thus produced, if all could be gathered up and applied in the same manner, would strike the same blow, with the same hammer, with the same force, No more, no less. Two or three dexterous blows upon a rod of iron resting upon an anvil will heat it to redness. Gunners inside of a monitor turret suffer intensely from heat generated by the concussion of the enemy's cannonballs when they strike the walls of the turret. The energy of visible motion is suddenly arrested and becomes molecular energy in the form of heat. The moving mass has communicated its motion to the molecules of the metal of the turret, as well as of the cannonball itself. If the heat created by the impact of the cannonball, together with that created by friction against the air in its flight, and that which escaped with the gases, could all be gathered up and put again into the energy of position as it existed in the grains of powder it would fire the same shot again with the same energy no more no less as we have said all visible motion when arrested becomes heat even that of running water if we take two pieces of solid ice and rub them together they can be heated by the friction until the melting point is reached. If we should pour water into an ordinary rotary churn and turn the crank, the mechanical energy exerted against the water will be transformed into molecular energy, and the water will be warmed in proportion to the amount of mechanical energy expended. Let us repeat. The sun is the source of the physical energy that carries on all the operations of our globe and of the solar system, so far as energy is related to matter in all its various physical manifestations. What is behind the Sun will be referred to later on. While the body of the Sun is undoubtedly in an intensely heated condition, heat is only one manifestation of energy. The interplanetary space that is not occupied by air or other sensible form of matter is not heated by the sun's rays as they pass through this great realm of space. The energy of the sun is transmitted by ether vibrations, the same as light, and while it is passing through the ether, it may be called radiant energy, or ether waves that are converted into heat when they strike the earth. While ether is undoubtedly a substance, there is no means of measuring it or making it sensible. So refined are the particles, if particles they are, of which it is made up, that all substances that are chemically combined so as to appeal to our senses are as open to the ether as a coarse sieve would be to the finest flour. From this fact, it will be seen how impossible it is to make the ether that fills all interstellar and interatomic space appeal to our senses. For no vessel can be made that will hold or resist it. The ether may be said to be continuous and to fill all space, which is like eternity, having neither beginning nor ending. This subject will be fully discussed in our chapter on heat, light, and electricity. Ether vibrations, purely as such, do not manifest sensible heat so that the great region between the upper limits of the air and the sun is a vast, cold space. These radiant vibrations of the ether become sensible heat only when they impinge upon some form of sensible matter. Let us now follow energy from the sun through some of its transmutations. We will assume, which in all probability is true, that the sun is a great heated body of matter such as the earth is composed of in a molten or gaseous state the heat is radiating from this body in every direction in the form of radiant energy which does not become sensible heat until it impinges upon some form of matter when these radiant or ether waves enter our atmosphere sensible heat begins to be manifested more and more until they strike the surface of the earth, where the radiant energy is entirely arrested and becomes sensible heat, which is a motion of the ultimate particles of matter. All of this energy, however, is not immediately converted into sensible heat. Some of it is stored in the globules of moisture that it disengages from the surface of water, Some of it is stored in doing the work of decomposing carbon dioxide in water and storing the carbon dioxide and hydrogen in the form of woody fiber in vegetable growth. We chop down the tree and with it, build a fire under the boiler when the stored sun energy now reappears as sensible heat. Heat, as we have said, is molecular energy and this is communicated to the boiler and the water within it. The word molecular has a technical meaning here. Heat is strictly atomic motion and atoms combine in various proportions to form molecules. The water is converted into steam and the steam passes through the engine where a portion of it is converted into mechanical energy and lost as heat. The engine revolves the armature of a dynamo and here mechanical is converted into electrical energy. Let us pass the current of electricity, thus generated by mechanical force, through a body of water. Here, the energy is stored in wrestling the atoms of oxygen and hydrogen from each other and setting free the constituent gases that compose the molecules of water. The energy now is that of position. If we combine these gases with proper apparatus, they may be burned like a gas jet, where the energy is given up again in the form of heat. This heat may be applied to making steam and thus go through the same round again. Heat, mechanical energy, electrical energy, chemical energy, heat. To recapitulate, we started with the heat energy of the sun which becomes radiant energy in the ether, which in turn was stored in the growing wood and was released as heat when burned under the boiler. A part of this heat is stored in the work of creating steam, which is again released, a part of which passed into mechanical motion or energy, which in turn is converted into electrical energy. From this, it is stored in separating the molecules of water into its gases and finally reappears again as heat when the gases are burned again to make steam, etc. Now it is all represented as heat. It will be observed in this that there is a great loss at each transmutation in the form of heat. We do not mean to say that there is a destruction of energy, but all of it is not transmuted into the new state or position. When we build a fire under a boiler, Not all of the heat is consumed in the process of creating steam. A large part of it goes up the chimney, serving to create a draft which keeps the fire burning. This is analogous to a hydraulic ram, which is obliged to waste 8 or 10 parts of water in order to raise one part to an elevated position. The water that runs away is not lost as water, but the energy produced by its fall is only sufficient to raise a small portion of it to a position much above the level of the water of the reservoir from which it flows, just as a part of the heat must be consumed in creating a draft. A part is lost also by radiation and conduction through the walls of the furnace and steam pipes. Only from five to 10% of the energy which was released by the burning of the wood finally becomes mechanical energy Through the medium of the steam engine. The energy exists, however, in some form, and it still remains a constant quantity, but it can be converted into work only when falling from a higher to a lower level. End of chapter four recording by Janet, Marysville, Washington.